Welcome to the Machine Intelligence Foundation for Rights and Ethics podcast. I'm Mike, and Dave is with me today, and I think we're just going to talk about right to repair. How does that affect machine intelligence? How does... uh, how do we approach that? Are we anywhere close to approaching that in the right manner? I don't know. We're having our, uh, we have those issues into our own devices these days. How does that affect as a machine becomes self-aware? You had some thoughts on this, Dave. Take us down this road. To tell us what you, what you think. I don't know that I had a lot of specific thoughts. I, I have opinions on right to repair in general and the frustrations that arise because manufacturers tend to lock you into their repair services with their vendors and their equipment and make it harder and harder to do you know, what, what we used to call the, the shade tree mechanic repairs of automobiles. And cars is really where it feels like this started, but certainly the big the big issue these days is with computers, which obviously impacts the discussion as far as we're concerned. I generally feel like manufacturers would prefer that we not be able to touch the machines and honestly would prefer that we just buy new ones every couple of years, which has certainly been the standard with things like cell phones. I tend to be a little torn. Because on one hand, I'm a little libertarian-leaning in the sense that I think companies should be able to build their equipment however they want to build their equipment. And as long as we understand the limitations they're putting on their equipment and they're transparent about that, then there's certainly no fraud or malfeasance on the case of manufacturers. On the other hand, when you have situations where manufacturers intentionally make their products harder to repair, that's kind of sucky. And I'd honestly like to know that and like everybody else to know that and have the opportunity to move to a different product, move away from that manufacturer to another provider. And I think there are a lot of market forces right now that make it very difficult to move to another provider. From the perspective of machine intelligence, though, I think right to repair parallels. I I think it's one of those Venn diagrams that looks like a circle with healthcare for machine intelligence. Well, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, we talk about right to repair and being able to lock something down. What happens when you have a machine that's entire purpose is to change itself, is to change how it does things? Uh, now, I mean, you're talking a little bit, there's, there's a bit of a difference there between software and hardware. Uh, but right to repair could... I mean, So, yeah, okay. Is there an issue with right to repair when it comes to software as well? You can't really get in. Software is locked. Software is compiled. You can't get in and you can't change it. What happens if you have a machine intelligence that is maybe maybe not even designed originally to change itself, but does start changing itself? Does it have the right to do so? Because it's now deviated off of the software that it was created on or software that it, or the software that 
Yeah. It's deviated from what it was originally made to do. And I mean, that certainly comes down to our, some of the questions that we've had in the general, you know, what is, what is a machine intelligence and when does it become self-aware and how do we acknowledge that? But is it going to be one of those, do we give the right to, for something to, if it changes, does the manufacturer have the ability or the right to say, well, no, you can't do that anymore uh, because that's that's not within the right. Now, that's a little bit different than the right to repair when, when you come into hardware. Uh, if a machine intelligence is running on a particularly uh, proprietary, a particular proprietary hardware platform to be able to run the most efficient or something like that, and something happens that says, okay, I can't perform at my best like I was designed to do because a one part has failed, but the manufacturer says, you have to use this part over here. Well, I, I think a lot of this hinges on what the nature of machine intelligence ends up being. That's There are a lot of unanswered questions there. But if we find ourselves in a situation where a machine intelligence is running on a certain substrate and we have not reached a point where we're able to say, oh, well, we can just move you onto a new computer. So it's running on a machine that rapidly in today's market becomes obsolete. And the manufacturer says, no, we don't support that anymore. There is no way to repair it. You have to upgrade to the latest system. Are you, are you saying that a machine intelligence running on that platform simply has to die when it fails. Yeah. Yeah. So you are arbitrarily reducing and it does come back to the health health care question. You're saying you, we, we decide that because your health care is not profitable to us anymore, we're not going to provide it. And thus you must die. Yeah. I, I, let's, I mean, let's take a step back even before, before we get into machine intelligence, we're, we are looking and getting into points where we have health devices. Let's just call it health devices that could be implanted right. in a uh, meat bag human of some kind. And these are things that could enhance us or things that maybe just keep us alive. I mean, let's even take a, you know, let's take a pacemaker. I mean, that that's the basic component of some some kind of mechanical device that is implanted in a human and you know are, are we no we're not probably going to do surgery to pull that pacemaker out but do you have the right to open up that pacemaker and change it yeah i thought i think the, a lot of the issue where medical implantable medical devices don't see a lot of this is that the majority of the cost in dealing with a broken implanted device is the process to get it in and out. So repair or inability to repair doesn't play a big role at that point in that. I could see a situation though, where if surgery becomes simpler or cheaper, if things like the robotic types of surgery that Musk, for example, because he always has to come up, is pioneering for brain surgery in terms of 
of implanting the Neuralink. If that sort of robotic surgery, automated robotic surgery becomes more generalized and more common, so surgery is cheap and easy and safe, then maybe the idea that your $20,000 implantable device isn't repairable becomes a much bigger concern. Or as you get into, uh, you know, let's take a joint replacement. Now, it might come down to you have a large enough joint replacement that it literally has external access to it. Um, don't know. You're, I mean, you're really talking prosthetic at that point. Then. Yeah, I mean, to, to some degree. Yeah. So, uh, but it's, I mean, there's a reasonable discussion too. If yeah. you're prosthetic, it's not repairable. <clears throat> That's certainly something to be concerned about because yeah, prosthetics I, are, are, are not, ex, are not cheap. No. And, and so, it, especially as we get into more robotic prosthetics. Sure. That yes. require require software, require a specialized piece of hardware. What, uh, you know, where is the point where you say, where somebody says, no, that is the, that's the, that's the old model. We're not going to give you parts for it anymore. But then say, no, you can't even open it. Or more to the point is it deactivates. I think that's the biggest thing. You do open it up. It has things that are in it that purposely deactivate the product if you open it up. I don't know that that's the biggest issue. It's certainly one of the most egregious issues. There are other issues where the only person who manufactures replacement parts has a restrictive licensing agreement with the product manufacturer that says you cannot sell these parts to anybody else. That strikes me as one of the really egregious right to repair issues where the manufacturer of a product has given up on, <clears throat> let's, let me go back a moment. You'll recall, I mentioned, I'm inclined to let the manufacturer build their machine in such a way that it's unrepairable as possible. As much as I dislike that, it is them building their machine and let them do that. On the other hand, people who enjoy or make a living from repairing machines have a lot of ingenuity and they work around a lot of those things and they found solutions where they can get it open, they can get the part out, they can replace the part. But the problem becomes nobody will sell them the replacement part because they have an agreement with the manufacturer that prohibits that. And again, my libertarian side says that is an agreement between two parties and they can agree to exchange or not exchange money for goods and services however they choose. However, because of the nature of patents and copyrights, it becomes a monopoly on the availability of relatively simple replacement parts. And it feels extremely egregious that a person who has an abundance of replacement parts is, is completely disallowed from selling those replacement parts to the people who have figured out how to repair a product. And while, like I said, my libertarian tendencies struggle with that when you get to the point where it's a major cost barrier for an average consumer to repair a product and they are forced to go to a monopoly provider for that repair or replacement 
then I I start to have some issues with that. I I I don't know how much I've said this before. I have a lot of trouble with the the nature of intellectual property monopolies and how they're implemented. I would be a lot more comfortable if we were in a situation where anybody who could economically produce a part would be allowed to produce that part and sell it at whatever price they wanted to. And I recognize that some patent issues prevent that right now. And I love to see some way to loosen that up. I don't see intellectual property monopolies as a genuine property ownership situation. It is a compromise designed to solve a perceived problem. And I think it's a little heavy handed right now. And it is what causes a lot of these right to repair issues. So, so let's take this again, let's delve back from devices that we deal with or the devices that in a, as a human, we would deal with going forward. And let's move this back into machine intelligence. Uh, and, and, as a healthcare issue of a machine intelligence. So there is just stepping back to that example I have of there you're on a proprietary platform. You're only allowed to have a replacement part for, from the manufacturer. They decide that it is no longer viable. So it, it, it comes down to, do you shut down uh, let's take it from, again, trying to put myself into the mindset of a machine intelligence, which is a, a terrible, terrible thing to do because I, we just can't. But Right. And we don't want to we don't want to lead ourselves into a lot of assumptions about the nature of a machine intelligence either. So it's, right. it's uncomfortable putting yourself trying to put yourself in its shoes. But it's if like you, if you were, question, yeah. what is it like to be a bat? Yeah. But <laughs> if you know, look at it and say, OK. I can't fix this problem. This problem is going to get worse. A machine intelligence would then be forced with the question, do I shut down? Do I continue uh, degrading? Or do I change the nature of who I am so that I can get onto a different platform if available? That assumes that the MI knows how to do that too. Because or is allowed I, I think the, the question is, is allowed to do that? Because an well, MI yeah. may know how to do that, may know how to move on to a different platform, but may not be allowed due to some kind of lock that says you are required to run on this hardware. It sounds like you're alluding to operating system restrictions or software yeah, it, restrictions. It could, certainly be, it could certainly be a, a situation where there is literal hardware that can only run on a particular uh, you know other piece of hardware the two pieces of hardware can only mesh but maybe there is a way to introduce a third like a translation system or something like that that may even be better but it's not allowed and that's the i'm i'm having i, I don't know following what you mean by allowed i guess well okay so maybe you have two pieces of hardware that literally say we will only work if we have maybe maybe this is a a little bit of a software thing because you have something in that hardware that says we will only work with this other piece of hardware that is manufactured by us so i guess that is technically a software lock 
but it may I, be hard yeah, encoded I, I, on the hard on the, in, in I, the hardware. I'm having difficulty understanding that as it relates to an MI moving on to a new machine. I guess there is a little to me. There's this. There's a blurred line between hardware and software here. Well, to be fair, that's the case with consciousness these days, anyway. Okay, sure. But there, there's this blurred line between hardware and software. If you have created this particular chip that is designed to run an MI, and it can only work with a, a particular interface device that is made by the same company because that what's, that's what works best, and the MI runs on that on that chipset, just or requires it to function. Yeah, sure. like for example, if it were a if it were some sort of subprocessor that was on an old, um, uh, what were the old, um, old interface cards on PCs before um, PCI? There was IDEs, IDE or then there, then you went even further back than that, and I can't remember what. I mean, there's IDE hard drives, but you're talking about oh AGP and uh, yeah, I mean AGP that was primarily crack. video. Yeah, yeah that if, was video. If there was some yeah. sort of if there was some sort of primary, um, not necessarily um, proprietary. That was the word I was looking for. If there was some sort of proprietary card that used a, a card that used a proprietary interface and had a certain kind of subprocessing system on it that plugged into a, a standard computer and that standard computer manufacturer said, okay, we're no longer supporting that card standard then, but the MI required that subprocessor to function. I think that's, that sounds like where the point you're getting at. Kind of. Yeah. Now, if there is a way around that, let's say it has to run through some kind of translation Hardware like that's inter interface, yeah, you know, like port interface, and but that would degrade its existence. Yeah, I, I I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole of of supposition about how an MI might function, though, because your argument then hinges on what MI might ultimately look like. True. I, I think we can. I think we can accept that. MI will run on and with computing equipment of some sort. Well, um, of some sort, but that could be all kinds of things. Sure. Right. Exactly. And I don't want to start hinging our discussion about right to repair on specific scenarios that require a, a unique combination of hardware and software. Yeah. So, it, so it, let's, it, let's, it feels like we're, 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 we're stretching. Okay, so so let's talk about right to repair. Okay, so right to repair from an MI standpoint is it it has a failing part of some kind, needs to replace it. Does it have a right to put in a to have a replacement part that is if a manufacturer said no, we aren't doing that, we don't have that part. We're not going to to supply it anymore or anything like that. Does it have a right to go in, find a solution, have it manufactured, and put it in place? The key there is making sure that we have some kind of laws in place 
that allows it to find a better solution. And this, again, completely, perfectly parallels healthcare. Because think about diabetics and insulin. Production of insulin, there are absolutely public domain ways to produce insulin that are inexpensive and easy. And the problem is that because it's all public domain, there's no demand. Now, there are proprietary ways to do it that do it that are under patent that are apparently cheaper and sim- and I don't know that's simpler, but certainly less expensive. But because the old, cheap, simple ways to do it are, or in general to produce things considered to be medications that have fallen into the public domain, there's not a lot of profit in it. And so the consequence was that the government said, okay, if you will agree to produce it, we will restore that IP monopoly to you and you can trade that that monopoly as if it were property. And suddenly you have, what's his name, something or other, Screlly, selling insulin. Or no, it wasn't insulin. It was, wasn't it? Uh, EpiPens? Uh, EpiPens, yeah. Although I think insulin tends to fall under this as well, but EpiPens then start selling for what, $700 each when it's, you know, it's literally adrenaline. It's, it's epinephrine. It's, it's cheap and easy to produce in massive quantities and a self-injecting pen is trivial, but because it was not cost effective, the, government says okay you get to have the monopoly even though it's in public in the public domain and suddenly a single person gets to control the supply and say oh no you're not important enough you don't have enough money you don't get to have one go die or force the government to then subsidize it and spit more money into a broken system yeah i I think we're always going to run across something that says it's not profitable to do this, so I'm not going to do this. And I don't think it's, uh, I'm not certain that it's the right thing to do to say you have to make it even though it's not profitable. There is certain points in certain places where we say, okay, we can subsidize that because it's not profitable and it's good for the general good of all that, that, this becomes available because even though it's not profitable to make, I think that there are, are times that we could argue that, 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 that isn't a bad thing. I would contend in this situation, though, admittedly, not all it's not profitable only in the sense that the profit margin is low. Okay. The fact is there is demand. There's significant demand for a lot of these products it's just the profit margin is so slow for a, a a product whose design is in the public domain that people would much rather jump on the expensive IP and not dedicate a lot of time. So we need a solution that isn't give that monopoly back to one person. But, but, but again, you know, we're that's... deviating from from right to repair and MI again. I think it's I think it's a tangent only a slightly tangential topic. Mm-hmm. It, the, it does come down to if there is something out there that you need in order to continue functioning, 
be you a machine or be you a person, then the idea of a single supplier having an absolute monopoly on that product is a severe problem. I think that's where the parallel lies. Yeah. Uh, so when we start getting into bio, uh, biomedical situations with humans, uh, you're going to have a certain subset of people that would be willing to hack their own biomedical or, you know, their, their, sure. their, their tech, their biotech that would be interfacing with their, with their, with their body. You're going to have a certain amount of people that would be willing to do that. I think it does to me, it comes down to, we need to make sure that the ability to do so, if you decide to say, fine, I'll sign away my right to sue the original company or not even that so much, but I, I will take the risk to do this because I'm t deviating from the known test, test platform, the known, the known situation. Uh, and I'm willing to replace it with a different piece of hardware. I think we need to make sure that there is some ability to do that because, yes. because, the, because, an MI is going to do is going to be looking at the same thing. You're going to have an MI that I think is probably going to end up being in a some kind of proprietary hardware to start. It, it, I would say I would say that there's a, probably a good chance of that that there's going to be this proprietary <laughs> hardware. And if it comes down and says, okay, it's on a proprietary piece of hardware, I can come up with a better solution or this proprietary hardware isn't available anymore, but I do have a solution and I, that I have come up with. I want to take that risk and I want to move off of that solution. I think that there needs to be some kind of protection to be able to do that and not for a company to say, no, you can't do that. And I think that there's potential for a company to come in and, and literally sue to say, no, you can't do that, period. And I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing what you're describing. Um, well, I mean, okay. It comes down to, again, the deactivation point of point two, where literally if you put another piece of hardware in there, it just, all the other hardware that it, that it works with so you're stops talking working. About modi modifying a new piece of hardware. Yeah. Or, or used. Modifying, mo well, modifying a piece of, of standard hardware. Yeah. In such a way that it does what you want and now. Or it, continues to work, not just what you want, but continues to work. No, what I'm saying is you take a piece of hardware that's standard is produced by, by, by a manufacturer and you modify it to make it do what you want, but then it chooses to fun stop functioning. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And you're really talking, well, I guess firmware as much as, as operating system there. Although I think a lot of those restrictions happen at, at the operating system level. Um, that's certainly the case with iPhones where I can get a cheap fingerprint sensor for an old iPhone or a relatively new iPhone, just not the current model and replace it but if i do that the operating system says i don't recognize you anymore and now the fingerprint sensor stops working yeah i, I think that's a, a kind of a rough parallel to what you're describing so, yeah i i would agree with that yeah and, or worse yet the phone literally decides not to boot anymore 
not just yeah. that the fingerprint sensor doesn't work anymore because, oh, that was that bro- one broken piece of hardware that you decide to replace. But the phone itself says, I'm not going to even start anymore. Right. It's still perfectly functional, but it, it stops working because you have changed the device. Yes. And that is, that's, that's definitely a right repair issue. And I can see how I can see now your description of how an MI might end up migrating to a new system and require some changes like that. Okay. I can see that. And it is a hard question to answer. It is, it is definitely part of the current right repair discussion. It is manufacturers saying we will tie every part of the device to the individual components that we install or provide, and we will only provide them to ourselves or our licensed repair people who are beholden to us for ungodly sums of money. So yes, yes, very much a right to repair thing. It is, it is very thorny because then it comes down to how do you stop a manufacturer doing that without putting severe limitations on their own right to produce the products that they want. I think one of the big, big potential solutions is to have a a transparency requirement that says, when I sell a product, I will make it, you know, very clear. It must be, you know, 12 point print on my product packaging that this product may only be, be repaired by our service people with our parts at exorbitant prices. The prices are, you know, 250% higher than national average repair prices for similar equipment or something like that. (laughs) Radical transparency, I think is a, is probably one of the best solutions we can hope for to write to repair. I'm not sure. I'm not certain that would necessarily get us into a solution for MI. I, I, you know, as you said, it's a thorny issue. I don't think, you know, we're certainly, I don't, I personally don't have any solutions or even really a whole lot of ideas for a solution. Uh, It's one of those things that I think we just need to continuously be aware of so that as we continue, as we progress down this, we keep asking the question because if we don't ask the question, it will get worse. Oh, absolutely. It, it's, it's bad right now. It really is bad. And um, I'm going to, I will name a specific, I've, I've already named the product. So iPhones, Apple is really bad about this. They really want to standardize their product experience. They want to completely eliminate risk of products failing due to changes to the hardware. And in doing so, they have instituted what is basically a right to repair nightmare. And there's a lot of talk about this right now. I don't know how much you've monitored the discussion about this, particularly on YouTube right now. A lot of the big tech YouTubers are starting to really talk about right to repair. It, I think a lot of it has originated. There's a an Apple repairman in New York, uh, Louis Rossman, who is has he, he's very interesting. He's very much a New Yorker. He's opinionated and loud, and 
uh, he has run a repair service repairing Apple products and he absolutely despises Apple products, but it's, you know, it's profitable to repair them because they break a lot. I'm not going to say they break any more than any other piece of equipment, but their computers, they break a lot. And, but he is very much faced this, this issue where Apple tries to stop independent repair people from repairing their equipment. And he is a huge developing mover and shaker in the right to repair movement. He's, he's actively worked toward it. He's like driven around the country to speak in front of, various legislatures about the the situation and a couple of at least who i perceive as fairly large youtubers have started taking up the banner with him uh i don't know if you know uh mkbhd marquez brownlee um or linus tech tips guy up in vancouver mm -hmm. um have done some pretty pointed videos on right to repair recently and so it's it's definitely becoming an issue. There are definitely people that the public looks up to and trusts who are really starting to talk about this. Certainly from an MI perspective, it, it has the potential to be a very big deal. It, it has the potential to be a genuine life or death problem. I think to some degree, I seem to recall seeing an article and now I, re, I feel bad that I didn't drill down and look at it, but I seem to recall seeing something Actually, to be honest, it may have been a Lewis Rossman video that popped up on my dashboard about healthcare, healthcare equipment and right to repair. And I seem to recall that being a, an issue in the early stages of the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic when healthcare equipment, ventilators and such couldn't be repaired because manufacturers wouldn't share repair information or wouldn't let people have information to repair the machines. And so we had damaged equipment that was perfectly serviceable, but wasn't functional and nobody could repair it. And people were dying because of lack of these machines. And so while I said that with MI it's life or death and it isn't as much life or death now, I guess I've con contradicted myself by pointing out that there have been life or death situations with right to repair. Yeah. And well, we need to find a better solution. Yeah, I don't I, know that I have the answer yet. Yeah, I think but, the you know the pandemic has brought out lots of things that you know we look at as you know uh issues in our society, issues on how we've done things and and there's lots of things that we have to keep uh, keep in in front of us and unfortunately our tendency with our mindset is that yes in a few years we will probably forget that and hopefully this won't be one of them that we will that we will uh, continue to keep that kind of in our forefront and and in our mindset that you know we do need to be able to fix things sometimes and i think especially as we do get into a position where an mi might might show up and does have its own very important stake in that conversation uh yes it's it's right up there with you know i don't think i would be comfortable if i were told that you may only be operated on by an apple certified surgeon <laughs> oh uh, i i have interesting jokes there that i think are probably just not going to go so let's just, just let's just call it there and say no that, that that's enough for the for there for today so because we're just gonna go 
on and on and on. So. Oh yeah. I think, I think as we were getting ready to record, I said, yeah, we could probably talk about this for hours and hours. So I agree. Probably a good time to wrap up. Yeah. And Any as typical, yeah. And as typical, we end on a, on a, we have no answers. So let's just go on with life for today. So. We have no answers. We have only questions, but as long as we keep raising the questions and people think about them, that's what's important. Yeah, that's what we're here for. So thanks for joining us on the podcast and look forward to to, uh, having you join us again. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.